Chapter Seven of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, a Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Introduction, The Last Abbot of Whaley. Chapter Seven, The Abbey Mill. For a while the abbot remained shattered and stupefied by this terrible interview. At length he arose, and made his way, he scarce knew how, to the oratory. But it was long before the tumult of his thoughts could be at all allayed, and he had only just regained something like composure, when he was disturbed by hearing a slight sound in the adjoining chamber. A mortal chill came over him, for he thought it might be Demdike returned. Presently, he distinguished a footstep stealthily approaching him, and almost hoped that the wizard would consummate his vengeance by taking his life. But he was quickly undeceived, for a hand was placed on his shoulder, and a friendly voice whispered in his ear, "'Come along with me, Lord Abbot. Get up, quick, quick!' Thus addressed, the abbot raised his eyes, and beheld a rustic figure standing beside him, divested of his clouted shoes, and armed with a long bare wood-knife. "'Dunna ye know me, Lord Abbot?' cried the person. "'I'm a friend. Alan Abbs a wizrel. "'Ye mind wizrel, your own birthplace, Abbot. "'Dunna be feared, I say. "'I'm getting a stay clapped to yon winder, "'and you can be down it here trice, "'and along covered way by riverside at mill.' But the Abbot stirred not. "'Quick, quick!' implored Hallan Abs, venturing to pluck the abbot's sleeve. "'Every minute's precious. Dunna be feared. Abel Croft Miller is below. Poor Cuthbert Ashbead would have been here instead of me if he could have. But that accursed wizard Nick Demdark turned my aunt again him, and drove Pikehead intended for himself into poor Cuthbert's side.' They clapped me in a dungeon, but Abel managed to get me out, and I then swore to do what poor Cuthbert would have done if he'd been living. So here I am, Lord Abbot, come to set you free. Now you know no all about it, you can have no more hesitation. Come, time presses, and I'm feared at guard over hearing us. I thank you, my good friend, from the bottom of my heart, replied the Abbot, rising. But however strong may be the temptation of life and liberty which you hold out to me, I cannot yield to it. I have pledged my word to the Earl of Derby to make no attempt to escape. Were the doors thrown open and the guard removed, I should remain where I am. What? exclaimed Hallanabs in a tone of bitter disappointment. You win a go now as prepared. But mess but you shan. "'I'd ne'er go back to Abel empty-handed. "'If you'n sworn to stay here, I'n sworn to set you free, "'and i keep my oath. "'Willy-nilly, you shan go with me, Lord Abbot.' "'Forbear to urge me further, my good Hal,' rejoined Paslew. "'I fully appreciate your devotion, "'and I only regret that you and Abel Croft "'have exposed yourself to so much peril on my account. "'Poor Cuthbert Ashbead!' When I beheld his body on the bier, I had a sad feeling that he had died on my behalf. "'Cuthbert meant to rescue your lord abbot,' replied Hal, 
and died resisting Nick Demdike's attempt to arrest him. "'Be your devils,' he added, brandishing his knife fiercely. "'Warlock shall have three inches of cold steel twixt his ribs the first time I come across him.' "'Peace, my son,' rejoined the abbot, "'and forego your bloody design. Leave the wretched man to the chastisement of heaven. And now farewell. All your kindly efforts to induce me to fly are vain.' "'You win a go?' cried Hal and Abs, scratching his head. "'I cannot,' replied the abbot. "'Come with me to Winder, then,' pursued Hal, "'and tell Abel so. He'll think I'd failed else.' "'Willingly,' replied the abbot. And with noiseless footsteps he followed the other across the chamber. The window was open, and outside it was reared a ladder. "'You mun go down a few steps,' said Hal and Abs. "'Or else he'll na hear you.' The abbot complied, and partly descended the ladder. "'I see no one,' he said. "'That's dark,' replied Hallan Abs, who was close behind him. "'Abel canna be far off. "'Lest I hear him go on.' The abbot was now obliged to comply, though he did so with reluctance. Presently he found himself upon the roof of a building, which he knew to be connected with the mill by a covered passage— running along the south bank of the Calder. Scarcely had he set foot there than Hallanabs jumped after him, and, seizing the ladder, cast it into the stream, thus rendering Paslew's return impossible. "'Now, Lord Abbot,' he cried, with a low, exulting laugh, "'you hanna broken your word, and I'n kept mine, you're free agin your will.' "'You have destroyed me by your mistaken zeal,' cried the Abbot, reproachfully. "'Now to the sort, and saved you from destruction. This way, Lord Abbot, this way!' And taking Paslew's arm, he led him to a low parapet, overlooking the covered passage before described. Half an hour before it had been bright moonlight, but as if to favour the fugitive, the heavens had become overcast, and a thick mist had arisen from the river. "'Abel! Abel!' cried Palanabs, leaning over the parapet. "'Here!' "'replied a voice below. "'Is all right? Is he with you?' "'Yeah,' replied Hal. "'What an you done with stay?' cried Abel. "'Never your mind,' returned Hal. "'But help Tabot down.' "'Paslew thought it vain to resist further, "'and with the help of Hal and Abs and the miller, "'and further aided by some irregularities in the wall, "'he was soon safely landed near the entrance of the passage.' Abel fell on his knees, and pressed the abbot's hand to his lips. "'Oh, blessed lady, be praised! You're free!' he cried. "'Donna stand talking there, Abel,' interposed Hallanabs, who by this time had reached the ground, and who was fearful of some new remonstrance on the abbot's part. "'I'm feared of pursuit.' "'You needn't be feared of that, Hal,' replied the miller. "'The guard are safe enough.' "'One of our chaps has just took em up a big black jack full of stout ale, "'and I warrant me they winna stay yet a while. "'When it please you to come with me, Lord Abbot.' "'With this he marched along the passage, followed by the others, "'and presently arrived at a door, against which he tapped. "'A bolt being withdrawn, it was instantly opened to admit the party, "'after which it was as quickly shut and secured.' In answer to a call from the miller, a light appeared at the top of a steep, ladder-like flight of wooden steps, and up these Paslew, at the entreaty of Abel, mounted, 
and found himself in a large low chamber, the roof of which was crossed by great beams, covered thickly with cobwebs, whitened by flour, while the floor was strewn with empty sacks and sieves. The person who held the light proved to be the miller's daughter, Dorothy, a blooming lass of eighteen, and at the other end of the chamber, seated on a bench before a turf fire, with an infant on her knees, was the miller's wife. The latter instantly arose on beholding the abbot, and placing the child on a corn-bin, advanced towards him and dropped on her knees, while her daughter imitated her example. The abbot extended his hands over them, and pronounced a solemn benediction. "'Bring your child also to me, that I may bless it,' he said, when he concluded. "'It's no my child, Lord Abbot,' replied the miller's wife, taking up the infant and bringing it to him. "'It were brought to me this very neat by Ebel. I wish it were fair enough, I'm sure, for it's a deformed little urchin. One of the eyes is lower set than t'other, and right looks up, while left looks down.' And as she spoke she pointed to the infant's face, which was disfigured, as she had stated, by a strange and unnatural disposition of the eyes, one of which was set much lower in the head than the other. Awakened from sleep, the child uttered a feeble cry, and stretched out its tiny arms to Dorothy. "'You ought to pity it for its deformity, poor little creature, rather than to reproach it, mother,' observed the young damsel. "'Maddy came out,' cried her mother sharply. "'You'n getten fine feelings with your learning for good feathers, Dolly. And I said before I wished the brat were far enough.' "'You forget it has no mother,' suggested Dorothy kindly. "'And no matter if it doesn't,' returned the miller's wife. "'Bess Demdike's no great loss.' "'Is this Bess Demdike's child?' cried Paslew, recoiling. "'Yea,' exclaimed the miller's wife. And mistaking the cause of Paslew's emotion, she added triumphantly to her daughter, "'I told ye wench that Lord Abbot would be a my way of thinking.' "'Child has got witch's mark plain upon her. "'Look, Lord Abbot, look!' "'But Paslew heeded her not, but murmured to himself, "'Ever in my path go where I will. "'It is vain to struggle with my fate. "'I will go back and surrender myself to the Earl of Derby.' "'Nay, nay, you shall do that,' replied Hal Nabs, "'who with the miller was close beside him.' "'Sit down at that stove by the fire, and take a cup of wine to cheer you, "'and then we'll set out to Pendle Forest, where I find you a safe hiding-place. "'And to any reward I never ask but service shall be that yon perform a marriage service for me and Dolly one of these days.' "'And he nudged the damsel's elbow, who turned away, covering with blushes. "'The abbot moved mechanically to the fire, and sat down, while the miller's wife, surrendering the child with a shrug of the shoulders and a grimace to her daughter, went in search of some viands and a flask of wine, which she set before Paslew. The miller then filled a drinking-horn, and presented it to his guest, who was about to raise it to his lips, when a loud knocking was heard at the door below. The knocking continued with increased violence, and voices were heard calling upon the miller to open the door, or it would be broken down. On the first alarm, Abel had flown to a small window, whence he could reconnoitre those below, and he now returned with a face white with terror, to say that a party of arquebusiers with the sheriff at their head were without, and that some of the men were provided with torches. "'They have discovered my evasion, and are come in search of me,' observed the abbot, rising, 
but without betraying any anxiety. "'Do not concern yourselves further for me, my good friends, but open the door and deliver me to them.' "'No, no, that we winna,' cried Hal and Nabs. "'You're no ten yet, Fadder Abbot, and I know where to baffle them. If you would let him down in river, I'll manage to get him off.' "'Well, thought, Aunt Nab,' cried the miller, "'There's now been my mon seven year for now. "'Thou know'st ways at Pleck.' Oh, "'As well as any rotten about it,' replied Hal and Nabs. "'Go down to the grinding-room, and I'll follow here twice.' As Abel snatched up the light, and hastily descended the steps with Fasdew, Hal whispered in Dorothy's ears, "'Take care, now no one funds that child, Dolly. "'If they break in, hide it safely.' "'and when they're gone, take it to church "'and place it near Tulsa, "'where no ill can come to it or thee. "'Thy life may hung upon it.' "'And as the poor girl, "'who as well as her mother "'was almost frightened out of her wits, "'promised compliance, "'he hurried down the steps after the others, "'muttering as the clamour without was redoubled, "'Hey, roar on tell ye, horse, "'ye when I get in yet a while, "'I promise ye.' "'Meanwhile the abbot had been led "'to the chief room of the mill.' where all the corn formerly consumed within the monastery had been prepared, and which the size of the chamber itself, together with the vastness of the stones used in the operation of grinding, and connected with the huge water-wheel outside, proved to be by no means inconsiderable. Strong shafts of timber supported the flooring above, and were crossed by other boards placed horizontally, from which various implements in use at the mill depended giving the chamber, imperfectly lighted as it now was by the lamp borne by Abel, a strange and almost mysterious appearance. Three or four of the miller's men, armed with pikes, had followed their master, and though much alarmed, they vowed to die rather than to give up the abbot. By this time Hallanabs had joined the group, and proceeding towards a raised part of the chamber, where the grinding stones were set, he knelt down, and laying hold of a small ring, raised up a trap-door. The fresh air which blew up through the aperture, combined with the rushing sound of water, showed that the calder flowed immediately beneath, and having made some slight preparation, Hal let himself down into this stream. At this moment a loud crash was heard, and one of the miller's men cried out that the arquebusiers had burst open the door. "'Be on, then, lads, and let him down!' cried Hal and Nabs, who had some difficulty in maintaining his footing on the rough, stony bottom of the swift stream. Passively yielding, the abbot suffered the miller and one of the stoutest of his men to assist him through the trap-door, while a third held down the lamp and showed Hallanabs up to his middle in the darkling current, and stretching out his arms to receive the burden. The light fell upon the huge black circle of the water-wheel, now stopped, and upon the dripping arches supporting the mill. In another moment the abbot plunged into the water. The trap-door was replaced and bolted underneath by Hal, who, while guiding his companion along and bidding him catch hold of the woodwork of the wheel, heard a heavy trampling of many feet on the boards above, showing that the pursuers had obtained admittance. Encumbered by his heavy vestments, the abbot could with difficulty contend against the strong current, and he momently expected to be swept away, but he had a stout and active assistant by his side, who soon placed him under shelter of the wheel. The trampling overhead continued for a few minutes, after which all was quiet, and Hal judged that, finding their search within ineffectual, the enemy would speedily come forth. Nor was he deceived. Shouts were soon heard at the door of the mill, 
and the glare of torches was cast on the stream. Then it was that Hal dragged his companion into a deep hole, formed by some decay in the masonry behind the wheel, where the water rose nearly to their chins, and where they were completely concealed. Scarcely were they thus ensconced than two or three armed men, holding torches aloft, were seen wading under the archway. But after looking carefully around, and even approaching close to the water-wheel, these persons could detect nothing, and withdrew, muttering curses of rage and disappointment. By and by the lights almost wholly disappeared, and the shouts becoming fainter and more distant, it was evident that the men had gone lower down the river. Upon this Hal thought that they might venture to quit their retreat, and accordingly, grasping the abbot's arm, he proceeded to wade up the stream. Benumbed with cold, and half dead with terror, Paslew needed all his companion's support, for he could do little to help himself, added to which they occasionally encountered some large stone, or stepped into a deep hole, so that it required Hal's utmost exertion and strength to force a way on. At last they were out of the arch, and though both banks seemed unguarded, yet, for fear of surprise, Hal deemed it prudent still to keep to the river. Their course was completely sheltered from observation by the mist that enveloped them, and after proceeding in this way for some distance, Hal stopped to listen, and while debating with himself whether he should now quit the river, he fancied he beheld a black object swimming towards him. Taking it for an otter, with which voracious animal the calder, a stream swarming with trout abounded, and knowing the creature would not meddle with them unless first attacked, he paid little attention to it, but he was soon made sensible of his error. His arm was suddenly seized by a large black hound, whose sharp fangs met in his flesh. Unable to repress a cry of pain, Hal strove to disengage himself from his assistant, and finding it impossible, flung himself into the water in the hope of drowning him. But as the hound still maintained his hold, he searched for his knife to slay him. But he could not find it, and in his distress applied to Paslew. "'Have you any weapon about you, Lord Abbot?' he cried. "'With which I can free myself from this accursed hound!' "'Alas, no, my son,' replied Paslew, "'and I fear no weapon will prevail against it, "'for I recognise in the animal the hound of the wizard Demdike.' "'I thought the devil were in it,' rejoined Hal. "'Believe me to find it out, and do your get bung, "'and make best of your way to Wessel, "'and join you as soon as I can crush this varmint's head against a stone.' "'Ah!' he added joyfully. "'I'll part twittle. Go! Go! I'll soon be after you.' Feeling he could sink if he remained where he was, and wholly unable to offer any effectual assistance to his companion, the abbot turned to the left, where a large oak overhung the stream, and he was climbing the bank, aided by the roots of the tree, when a man suddenly came from behind it, seized his hand, and dragged him up forcibly. At the same moment, his captor placed a bugle to his lips, and winding a few notes, he was instantly answered by shouts, and soon afterwards half a dozen armed men ran up, bearing torches. Not a word passed between the fugitive and his captor, but when the men came up and the torchlight fell upon the features of the latter, the abbot's worst fears were realised. It was Demdike. "'False to your king, false to your oath, false to all men!' cried the wizard. "'You seek to escape in vain.' "'I merit all your reproaches,' 
replied the abbot, "'but it may be some satisfaction to you to learn "'that I have endured far greater suffering "'than if I had patiently awaited my doom.' "'I am glad of it,' rejoined Demdike, with a savage laugh. "'But you have destroyed others beside yourself. "'Where is the fellow in the water? "'What ho, Uriel!' "'But as no sound reached him, "'he snatched a torch from one of the arquebusiers "'and held it to the river's brink. "'But he could see neither hound nor man.' "'Strange!' he cried. "'He cannot have escaped. "'Uriel is more than a match for any man. "'Secure the prisoner while I examine the stream.' "'With this he ran along the bank with great quickness, "'holding his torch far above the water, "'so as to reveal anything floating within it. "'But nothing met his view "'until he came within a short distance of the mill, "'when he beheld a black object struggling in the current.' and soon found that it was his dog, making feeble efforts to gain the bank. "'Ah, recreant, thou hast let him go!' cried Demdike furiously. Seeing his master, the animal redoubled his efforts, crept ashore, and fell at his feet with a last effort to lick his hands. Demdike held down the torch, and then perceived that the hound was quite dead. There was a deep gash in its side, and another in the throat, "'showing how it had perished. "'Poor Uriel!' he exclaimed. "'The only true friend I had, and thou art gone. "'The villain has killed thee, but he shall pay for it with his life.' "'And hurrying back, he dispatched four of the men in quest of the fugitive, "'while accompanied by two others he conveyed Paslew back to the abbey, "'where he was placed in a strong cell, from which there was no possibility of escape.' and a guard was set over him. Half an hour after this, two of the arquebusiers returned with Hallan Abbs, whom they had succeeded in capturing after a desperate resistance, about a mile from the abbey on the road to Wizzle. He was taken to the guard-room, which had been appointed in one of the lower chambers of the chapter-house, and Demdike was immediately apprised of his arrival. Satisfied by an inspection of the prisoner, whose demeanour was sullen and resolved, Demdike proceeded to the great hall, where the Earl of Derby, who had returned thither after the midnight mass, was still sitting with his retainers. An audience was readily obtained by the wizard, and apparently well pleased with the result, he had returned to the guard-room. The prisoner was seated by himself in one corner of the chamber, with his hands tied behind his back with a leathern thong, and Demdike, approaching him, told him that, for having aided the escape of a condemned rebel and traitor, and violently assaulting the king's lieges in the execution of their duty, he would be hanged on the morrow. The Earl of Derby, who had the power of life or death in such cases, having so decreed it, and he exhibited the warrant. "'So you ain't hung me, eh, wizard?' cried Hallanabs, kicking his heels with great apparent indifference. "'I do.' "'replied Demdike, if for nothing else, for slaying my hound.' "'I donna think it,' replied Hal. "'You're not your man, demon. "'I'm ne'er prepared to-day just yet.' "'Then perish in your sins,' cried Demdike. "'I will not give you an hour's respite.' "'You'll be sorry when it's too late,' said Hal. "'Tush!' cried Demdike. My only regret will be that Uriel's slaughter is paid for by such a worthless life as thine. And then why take it? demanded Hal. 
"'specially when yon lose your child by doing so.' "'My child!' exclaimed Demdike, surprised. "'How mean you, Sarah?' "'I mean this,' replied Hal coolly, "'that if I die to-morrow morning, your child dies too. "'When I undertook this job, I calculated my chances "'and took precautions aforehand. "'Your child's a hostage for my safety.' "'Curses on thee and thy cunning!' cried Demdike. "'But I will not be outwitted by a hind like thee. "'I will have the child, and yet not be balked of my revenge.' "'You'll never have it except as a breathless corpse, about my consent,' rejoined Hal. "'We shall see,' cried Demdike, rushing forth, and bidding the guards look well to the prisoner." But ere long he returned with a gloomy and disappointed expression of countenance, and again approaching the prisoner, said, "'Thou hast spoken the truth. The infant is in the hands of some innocent being over whom I have no power.' "'I told thee so, wizard,' replied Hal, laughing. "'And as I be, I'm a match for thee. <laughs> now, mere life against child, wilt thou set me free?' Demdike deliberated. "'Harky, wizard!' cried Hal. "'If you're hatching treason, I'm done. "'Certainty of revenge will sweeten my last moments.' "'Will you swear to deliver the child to me unharmed "'if I set you free?' asked Demdike. "'It's a bargain, wizard,' replied Hal and Nabs. "'I swear. "'But you must set me free first, for I winna take your word.' Demdike turned away disdainfully, and addressing the arquebusiers said, "'You behold this warrant, guard. The prisoner is now committed to my custody. I will produce him on the morrow, or account for his absence to the Earl of Derby.' One of the arquebusiers examined the order, and vouching for its correctness, the others signified their assent to the arrangement, upon which Demdike motioned the prisoner to follow him, and quitted the chamber." No interruption was offered to Hal's egress, but he stopped within the courtyard, where Demdike awaited him, and unfastened the leathern thong that bound together his hands. "'Now, go and bring the child to me,' said the wizard. "'No, I dare bring it to ye myself,' rejoined Hal. "'I know'st better than that. But at church porch in half an hour, and Bantlin shall be delivered to ye safe and sound.' and without waiting for a reply, he ran off with great swiftness. At the appointed time, Demdike sought the church, and as he drew near it, there issued from the porch a female, who hastily placing the child wrapped in a mantle in his arms, tarried for no speech from him, but instantly disappeared. Demdike, however, recognised in her the miller's daughter, Dorothy Croft. End of chapter 7